So about the middle of July, a lot of sleepless nights. I woke up on a Friday evening, just in a panic, cold sweats. What is going on? How do I save the business? And I thought, gosh, if I could bundle this up and get it out from underneath Top Golf, is there a way that I could sell this business, perhaps to Ryan, and allow him to operate it? He's got the resources. He's got the expertise. He certainly knows the simulator space. It's his technology, after all. So I called Ryan that Saturday morning, and we crafted a wacky plan to sell the business to Full Swing and let them operate it. And then we shared in the revenue that was generated from the current install base. And then we share in the revenue of any new installs. Dolph Burley, the CEO of Topgolf at the time, and William Davenport, the CFO, liked the idea. They liked the fact that we could keep the brand alive, maintain the same level of service, and there would be a healthy revenue stream coming out of it. Not as grand as it was pre-COVID, but at least it kept it alive. And that's what we ended up doing. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And please subscribe to the show so you hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter in our latest golf product giveaway. Today, my guest is the first guest we ever had on the Mod Golf Podcast way back in May of 2017, over 110 episodes ago. And someone I consider a good friend and glad to have back on the show. And that is Ron Powers, who is the head of Swing Suite Division at Full Swing Simulators. We're going to talk about what you've been up to the last couple of years, life and COVID, all those good things, Ron. But hey, just want to welcome you back. Ron, good to see you, my friend, and welcome back to the Mod Golf Podcast. How you doing? Uh, thanks, Colin. I, uh, I'm pitching myself here. I can't believe it's been four years since we had that first conversation. It's unbelievable. It really is. And as we were talking about earlier, when I was coming up with the idea of the Mod Golf podcast, because I had been involved at that time in the golf industry and the innovation side and the good work that you and I collaborated on back with Top Golf and some good stuff got to know you, I figured, you know, there's no one telling these entrepreneurial stories in the golf space. I figured someone should tell those stories. And I thought maybe I should tell those stories. So that was back in the summer of 2016. And I reached out to you and a couple other guys that I consider friends and said, hey, Ron, would you be on my podcast if no one listens? I said, well, no, two. We'll get two downloads. You and I will both listen, hopefully. And I don't know what I'm doing. I may really suck at this. Maybe there's only a couple of stories there and I'll only do a couple of episodes. And you were gracious enough to say yes. And I thank you for that. That was part of the launch pad. And you introduced me to so many other awesome people over the years. So I want to open with gratitude, my friend, and say thank you for that. And I want to hear and share with our listeners what you have been up to the last couple of years. Well, really, since since we last spoke, when at the time you were with Top Golf, not even leading up swing suites at the time that didn't exist. So let's actually start, Ron, with what's happened over the last couple of months. Even announced last mm. week, I saw some big news with Full Swing Simulators. So tell us first what's gone on there, and then we'll kind of move backwards as we go. So yeah, tell us the big news that you can share with us. Yeah, well, a few things. But, but first of all, Colin, before we start, I, I never saw the parallel between running a podcast and amateur golf after the last four years of being a crappy golfer. My handicap has not moved at all. It seems like your skill set is still about the same. Wow. Well, we'll open with a burn, and that's probably true. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's great to actually be able to see you now. I don't think the the listeners are able to take that in, but uh, I certainly appreciate the video conference technology as it's evolved. One thing before we start here, for our listeners, of course, we've got our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So after Ron and I finished up our conversation here for the audio podcast, we'll be jumping on a quick Zoom call. 
different content, different questions, different conversations. So hopefully we turn some of you fabulous listeners into some viewers over on our YouTube channel. So so yeah, interrupted you for a second time already. I think that's a, that's a good record there already within the first three minutes. So I'm going to be quiet for a change. And yeah, tell us what's been going on with Full Swing Simulators, Ron. Let me earmark the last comment you made about the fundraising with Full Swing. I won't over embellish it, but the story that I'll tell will lead up to that is maybe one of the punctuation marks. Great. Um, when we met back in 2017, we had just uh, launched the Swing Suite division. In fact, I think at that point, we only had two venues that were up and operating, four seasons in Houston, and, and maybe we had just opened the Atlanta Hawks Stadium. So people don't, don't know, give some context. So that was with Topgolf. So perhaps yeah. start talking about the kind of the, the origin story and, and the business opportunity you saw that you were leading up with Topgolf Swing Suites. Yeah, that, that's a good point, uh, Colin. Sorry for skipping past that. So, so back in 2017, I was a chief digital officer for Topgolf, chartered with trying to come up with new concepts that would either extend the brand or allow us to get into markets that we weren't otherwise capable of entering with the full size venues. So one of the ideas that Eric Anderson and I had had for a couple of years leading up to the initial launch was to take a simulator product, revamp it so that it created an entertainment platform and then bring that into urban centers where we wouldn't otherwise be able to open up a 12-acre venue. When we decided that that was a viable strategy, I'd gone out and evaluated, oh, probably a half dozen, maybe 10 simulator companies, and it settled on full swing as the technology of choice for a variety of reasons. But the main issue was the lack of latency. When you hit the ball and the ball hits the screen, the object is in the virtual environment immediately. That for me, as a, as a former game software guy, yeah. that was very compelling. That changed the experience from an entertainment and casual perspective dramatically. So what we did was we partnered with Full Swing. Full Swing put a lot of resources to bear on this play, and we developed a couple of top golf version games for their simulator. And again, meant to accommodate youth, amateur uh, golfers, inexperienced golfers, hit and gigglers, or anything in between. We had our first experience launched at the Four Seasons in Houston in February of 2017, coinciding with the Super Bowl of that year. Right. And uh, it was tremendously successful. We immediately hit the ground running. I was given a fair amount of leeway to build the team any way that I saw fit. And we put together a dynamic team of software developers, uh, client success folks, a sales team, marketing, et cetera, and built that business up. From 2017 up until COVID in 2020, we had 83 venues, I believe it was, that were operating across the United States, 220 simulators that were in those environments. We were generating uh, revenue expectations that exceeded my wildest imagination by probably 2x, and the team was, was running. As you might guess, the venues that we were successful in were casinos, hotels, resorts, sports bars, all of which were tragically impacted with the COVID outbreak in late February, early March of 2020. And within two or three weeks of the first few cases, Topgolf had shut down every venue across the nation, across the globe for that matter. And we had shut down every venue with the Swing Suite technology. Or right. actually, I shouldn't say we shut it down. Our partners did shut it down. So I'll, I'll stop right there, Colin, just in case there are any questions on the on the growth of the business. From yeah, you, you threw a lot on the wall there. It's a good place to stop when, like all businesses, whatever industry and sector, how do you pivot? How do you recalibrate? How do you survive during a global pandemic, especially in a business, especially in golf and events uh, and entertainment and hospitality, where it depends on people gathering together? 
So I, I do want to stop you there and, and ask you a, a couple yeah. of questions regarding the development again back in 2016, 2017 of Top Golf Swing Suites. And what I love about the entrepreneurial spirit with Top Golf, and I was fortunate enough to you and Eric Anderson to let myself and my business partner in to be part of that and work on that. But I love the fact that you've got this entrepreneurial mindset that you were allowed to treat Top Golf Swing Suites as a startup. You created your team, so becoming, as they call it, an intrapreneur, an entrepreneur within an organization, stay lean and agile and, and run it with that. So one thing I hear all the time from people in the golf industry and their hesitancy of trying something different, trying to attract new customers, extracting new value, not eliminating what they're doing, their base business model, but adding on to that, extending that. The other problem they have is the revenue model also. Can you talk a little bit about that, of what you actually saw at the beginning? Were you selling these suites? Were you doing a licensing <laughs> agreement? Was there kind of a back-end recurring revenue or a combination? And did that pivot or change once you got more insights over the first couple of years to see where the sweet spot was? Yeah, so, so th three things to unravel there, I think, Colin. One is the notion of this uh, entrepreneurial attitude. It's a double-edged sword, right? On, on one side, I had the benefit of the Top Golf brand, which was extremely you know, invigorating to the non-golf community, the, those looking for entertainment outlets, uh, and certainly loved having that brand. But because Top Golf was growing at exponential rates in all the rest of their business, we were literally just put out on an island. And not only were we asked to create our own business model, but, but we were chartered with not distracting the mothership. Right. We didn't, we're not to, to tap into marketing resources, finance resources, service resources, et cetera. So that was a particularly unusual challenge that I had never faced in my entrepreneurial career. Sure. Uh, you know, if you aligned with somebody, you, you, you tapped into that resource as deeply as you could. And that was part of your support network. In our case, we had to consciously avoid that because of the importance of the rest of the business growing. So that was one comment on the start of that business. From a revenue model standpoint, you know, this was the, the amalgamation of life experiences. I think I'd mentioned to you once before that I'd started right out of college with no direction and started selling copiers. And I did that for about 12 years. And in the copier business, we stopped selling copiers and we started selling copies. What I meant by that was we packaged the entire service together. So instead of somebody buying a clunky old copier, nobody gets excited about buying a copier. It's a means to an end, right? right. We've got to produce copies of, of documents upright and center. So what we did was we packaged this together and said, okay, you, you're producing 20,000 copies a day today. That's really what your output looks like. So you're paying three cents a copy now. I'm going to charge you two and a half cents. And by the way, you get this brand new shiny copier, paper, the supplies, everything's included. The operating expense for the partner went down. I was able to recognize basically retail value for the copier because we were leasing it internally. And then we just provided the supplies and paper and so forth, toner as it was used. I took that same model and did that in the uh, simulator space where I knew that a lot of these restaurants and hotels didn't have a ton of capital that were setting aside, but their operating model, if you could prove that you were going to increase their business, increase their revenue in each one of these locations, that they could justify increasing the operating expense commensurate with the increase in revenue. So we bundled the simulator together that included the hardware, the software, and all of the service and support. And we leased that to the partner under one package. Topgolf owned the asset and we would license it to the partner at $4,000 a month for 60 months. And we provided all the service, the marketing direction, or at least consultation, and then all of the maintenance. Part of our proposition was 
we produced a performa that we proved to our partners that if you added this feature into your restaurant, your bar, your hospitality play, that you could actually make money from renting that space and it would actually be a revenue generator and a profit center. That was the pitch that we gave and that was the basis for our business. Love it. Love it. So a couple of great nuggets there for our listeners that are looking in the entrepreneurial space, especially in the golf industry. The key one there, of course, is the fact you removed one of the barriers. And that was, of course, the capital expenditure at the beginning. They don't have the money from that capital bucket to an operating bucket where that money is amortized over time or it's even in the future. You've reduced the risk because you've proven to them that you will both make money off of this. So when any entrepreneur out there, no matter what space you're in, you've got this great idea, you're developing product, you're developing the service, you've got to talk to the customer, you've got to find the way to add more value and reduce the risk in this case at that front end capital expenditure cost, which is great. So the other question I want to ask too, a lot of people out there may not be, not that I'm a marketing expert or I definitely don't have an MBA, but I understand by being an entrepreneur myself, how important it is to find that break even point. Now you said you were leasing these for 60 months. Were you able to calculate how many months it would take for you then to reach that break even point and then everything was pure profit for you after that? Obviously, I know there's a little bit of an operating budget on your end and maintenance, but were you able to calculate that as far as break even point and realize once we hit that, our profit margins go up exponentially? Well, from an internal standpoint, meaning top golf from a PL perspective, I don't want to disclose too much on that. Of course, column, of but, course. But we were breaking even essentially on our investment, let's call it, within 36 months. All um, right. We were break even on the investment. Now, when I say investment, I mean clubs, the balls, the simulator, the mats, uh, signage, anything that we provided, the hard cost we had recovered by that. We still had the investment, right? The people, the team was building. When we started, unfortunately, we had layoffs and we'll get to that in a moment, but we had a team of 48 people. So we had hired over that two-year period. We weren't generating enough revenue to necessarily justify all 48 heads at that moment in time, but it was important that we had the resources available as we grew that business so that we were not playing catch up. We were really staffing for 12 to 18 months ahead of our current run rate. Got it. So, got it. That makes sense. It, it does. And yeah. And thanks for, for giving us some context. I realize there, there's certain information you cannot divulge, but that certainly gives people an idea. And once again, that's something with your business model that you need to put into play. Otherwise, you're just guessing. And that's why, unfortunately, eight to nine out of 10 startups fail is for other reasons like that. You don't work enough on the business side. And I know myself coming from the design side back in the early days, back in 2012, 2013, we, I wouldn't say neglected that. It was more ignorance. We didn't even know, but uh, we've learned over the years and the fact that that's actually part of what's integrated in with all the things that we do now. Okay, so let's talk about 2020. Lots of moving parts with Top Golf and also with Swing Suites, a little thing called COVID. And also Top Golf mm -hmm. was acquired by Callaway. So I'll leave it to you to tell how you <laughs> want to tell us about the year 2020 for you and Top Golf and Swing Suites, and then of course with Full Swing Simulator. So tell us what went on in 2020 with. Yeah. Well, you know, this is probably a, a tired story, but obviously I think it was St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. Shit was hitting the fan. My daughter was in, in University of Colorado at Boulder. Classes were shut down. Topgolf was preparing to go public. We had just the week before done a financial presentation to a large community of financial analysts from around the U.S., spent two days with them. Everything looked very rosy. And the following week, again, 
it was more than shit that was hitting the fan. It, it, there were yeah. bodies and well, that's a bad analogy, but yeah, there was a lot hitting the fan. Right. Um, by the end of that week, I think the 19th, I'd flown back to pick up my daughter and we were driving back to Seattle from Boulder and I was on conference calls that entire trip. It's 22 hours and wow. it was just nonstop. We were on calls the entire time. Top Golf had made the decision somewhere around the 24th, I believe it was, that we had to shut down all the venues. We were just kind of holding on by a thread, waiting to hear from our partners. First day, it was 10 venues shut down. The next day, it was 20, and it just snowballed. And within a week, we were completely out of business. Yeah. Uh, the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, traumatic <laughs> events of my professional career was the laying off out of that 48 people, laying off 46 individuals, Wow. impacting their families, their careers. It was just devastating. We were a small piece of a much larger wheel, and Top Golf had furloughed somewhere around eighteen or nineteen thousand people. So, yeah. you know, I, I had a lot of company as we were making that change. And then, if you fast forward to June, if you remember this time frame last year, right, we were starting to see some positive outcomes, and so things started to slow down in the closure area, and it looked like it was stabilizing. So, a few of our partners started opening. The challenge that we were faced with, while being a wildly successful startup, business completely shut down. As we were looking to open, it required capital. I needed people, I needed resources, I needed travel budgets, and Top Golf, for all the right reasons, was facing the same issue, but on a much larger scale right. with their venues. So capital was not available. So we, the three of us, myself, Peter Kratzios, hats off to Peter, <laughs> longtime golf entrepreneur, uh, has stuck with me for the last four years and really pulled up his bootstraps on the sales and support side. Chuck Frizzell, who was running client success, suddenly became the first team utility player. He was my finance guy, my customer service guy, my first call of defense. We were all working 18 hours a day. We were trying to open these venues up ourselves. In comes Ryan Dodders, the CEO of Full Swing, says, how can I help you? He brought resources to bear. Doggone, I just about welled up when I mentioned his name because without any compensation whatsoever, was putting resources into our organization to help keep that business afloat. And it just wasn't sustainable. So about the middle of July, a lot of sleepless nights. I woke up on a Friday evening just in a panic, cold sweats. What is going on? How do I save the business? And I thought, gosh, if I could bundle this up and get it out from underneath Top Golf, is there a way that I could sell this business perhaps to Ryan and allow him to operate it? He's got the resources. He's got the expertise. He certainly knows the simulator space. It's his technology after all. So I called Ryan that Saturday morning and we crafted a wacky plan to sell the business to Full Swing and let them operate it. And then we shared in the revenue that was generated from the current install base. And then we share in the revenue of any new installs. Dolph Burley, the CEO of Topgolf at the time, and William Davenport, the CFO, liked the idea. They liked the fact that we could keep the brand alive, maintain the same level of service, and there would be a healthy revenue stream coming out of it. Not as grand as it was pre-COVID, but at least it kept it alive. And that's what we ended up doing. I think it was October 13th, if I'm not mistaken, we executed an agreement. We transferred the business over to Full Swing, and they have just been an absolute dream come true as it relates to the support. We've rehired now eight of the 46 that have been negatively impacted. 
brought them back, brought those jobs back. Yeah, it's been an amazing ride and hats off to Ryan Daughters and the Full Swing team for allowing this to happen and, and having the faith in the business to let me run it. So yeah, it's been been amazing. Wow, interesting. So from the outside looking in and seeing with Callaway acquiring Top Golf, I just made the assumption that when that deal went down, that was just one of the pieces that was in play that carved off Top Golf Swing Suites and then sold that. But you initiated that with the team beforehand to really save the business. That deal was done and dusted before Callaway acquired Top Golf, correct? It was. Those who know Chip Brewer, one of my idols, uh, in particular in the golf business, but just in general, he's a guy that believes in eliminating distractions and focusing on the core. Now, you may question some of the investments that Callaway's made. I love what they've been doing. But one of his mantras was, especially when the going gets tough, get rid of all of the distractions and focus on the basics, right? right. So while he didn't say this to me, in retrospect, this was probably an inevitable outcome regardless. Mm. Um, and the other great fortune for me personally was once we got the deal done, the Callaway deal shortly followed. And because of the circumstances, I no longer had a job, right? I couldn't be president <laughs> of Swing Suite when the business was now over at full swing. So we worked together and, and I took a little severance and Ryan Daughters offered me a gig running that same business. And it literally happened within about 36 hours and we never missed a beat. I feel blessed, fortunate, lucky, whatever you want to say, that business that I created is still alive and it looks like we're going to, we're going to have a very, very healthy future. Nice. Well, let's talk about the future. So what are the plans? Because you're always iterating, you're always advancing and always innovating. So where do you see now that we're coming out of COVID? I know we're kind of stuck right now with rates going up again with the Delta variant and, and vaccination rates kind of stuck where they are. But let's stay positive here. Let's hope that in the end of 2021 and 2022 and beyond, things are going to open up and really expand in a positive way. So where do you see the opportunities now with full swing simulators as far as your business opportunities? So what do you see in the in the rest of this year and, and beyond? Let me just mention briefly the capital raise that Full Swing just completed. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to use some reference points as opposed to trying to give detail. I haven't synced up with Ryan, so I, I don't want to over-disclose. But it was publicly announced. They raised funds on a valuation that was roughly five and a half times their valuation uh, of four years ago when we started the Swing Suite business. So he's done a tremendous job of running that business. He and Jason Fierro, their SVP of sales and marketing, very visionary folks. So they've raised that capital. We're going to be able to use that capital for a lot of things. The launch monitor, which Full Swing is coming out with, has been you know out in the ether for a couple of months now. That will be rolled out this fall. That's going to be a big focus. The Swing Suite business and the rest of the Full Swing commercial business is also going to get a little shot in the arm from some of that capital. What happened when we sold the business, Colin, to Full Swing, they didn't have a lot of dry powder that they could use to fund a lease program, right? right. Where you, you had to incur the, the cost of that capital. You wouldn't get that back for that 36 months that I mentioned earlier. So we had to switch the business model from a lease to a purchase. So you, Mr. Customer, purchase the hardware and we'll license you the software. So we basically cut those fees in half. The partner owns the asset and we're simply providing a software license. That's what the current business model looks like. Going forward with this infusion of capital, we are going to gracefully bring back the lease model and use it strategically. God, I wish I could take credit for the change in that business model. But the one thing I wanted to point out right now, because of the way COVID impacted a lot of small businesses, 
the partners we're dealing with today, by and large, are, are larger, well-funded organizations who have a series of hotels in relatively deep pockets, or they're a stable restaurant concept that had capital set aside for growth. We're dealing with folks that are well-capitalized, and so buying a piece of hardware that they own is not that challenging. Right. You know, paying 55, 60 grand for a piece of hardware. They were more concerned about the long-term operating profits. So it actually was a beautiful marriage. I own the asset. I keep the asset. I license it for five years. If I don't like it, yes, they can terminate because it's just a software license agreement. It gives us a lot more flexibility. That said, we are seeing more partners come back as the COVID had started to, to slow down. Now with the Delta variant, maybe we get another slap in the face. But we had started to see smaller entities come back and they didn't have the capital. So a lease program was something that we were starving to have. With the infusion of this capital, we can now create a, a small, relatively strategic lease program aimed at those that just don't have the capital to get into the market today. So I hope that all made sense. That was a lot of information there in a five or six sentences. No, but and great points made there, Ron. And to, to distill that down, once again, for entrepreneurs, for business owners that are looking for new opportunities, you can see that it's not just a one size fits all as far as your revenue model. You can see now you've then pivoted. It's like, yes, we were leasing it. So it was easy to get into the market there. And we more back ended with recurring revenue for 60 months. And then you flip that around because you had, as you just pointed out there, capital intensive, larger organizations that had the ability to then purchase that and that worked out well for them. But you're also looking at that hybrid model that not all customers are the same. You're identifying the markets, what their needs are, what the gaps are and, and what they're able to do and what they're not. You're not trying to sell something to someone that they can't afford, that it just stops right at the first conversation. So I wanted to ask you this because it is a B2B, a business to business business model. Do you have any business to consumer? Do you have any high net worth individuals that have come to you that want these in their, their houses and their vacation homes or whatever that could be? Are you doing that? Do you have any customers like that with Swing Suites? Keep in mind that that's the bulk of Full Swing's business, right? Is yeah. residential installation. So yeah, what, yeah. what we've done, and, and thanks for bringing that up because it would have been easy for me to pass right over it. What we've done is we've taken all the software that we created using the Topgolf brand and we've put that into more of a consumer product. And so we can now license you, Colin, you, you have a full swing simulator in your basement that you've had for four or five years. We can now come back into you and say, here's a software package utilizing the Topgolf brand, the Swing Suite game technology. We can now license that to you and we can install it on your system to enjoy in your home. It's a consumer packaged product that now can be added into any residential installation. Nice. Nice. Love it. So when I first met you, when you just started with Topgolf and you mentioned your background in gaming with PopCap Games and, and a few others there, that that is your foundation of allows you to do all the great things that you do, part of your, your secret sauce. So I'm, I'm very curious to learn here, Ron, because I also see you're a board member with Sports World Inc. there in that virtual world fantasy sports environment. Where do you see the intersection of esports and fantasy sports and virtual world? So the reason I ask this, because I saw this really catchy statement put out there when this capital raise was finished, which may sound very ambitious, but it sounds like you and your team are looking to create the Peloton for golf. I heard that. So can you perhaps talk a little more about that, of all these other things that is your background, these things that you love and how that can be infused for the next generation of consumer products that you're going to bring forward? Yeah. So, so keep in mind the breadth of product here. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll just touch on it. You've got the, the traditional 
simulator space, right? Which was largely high net worth individuals, but also you found them in golf courses and training centers and club fitting locations. But the majority were in high net worth residential installations. You then had the, the commercial advent, whether it be Swing Suite or some of Full Swing's commercial partners where they've got five or six, seven simulators and they're, they're making a living selling beer and hot dogs and renting out a bay. So you got that commercial sector. So that's the second. The third then is this launch monitor product that I think is going to be a, a game changer for the industry. Uh, its price point is going to be plus or minus 4,000 bucks and it's all going to be integrated. So there's going to be an app-based connectivity between all three of those environments. There'll be you know a residential simulator that can connect to the network, that can be tracked via the app, whatever your scoring metrics are that you're paying attention to, whether it's frivolous gameplay or distance of your seven iron, that will all be app-based. So you'll have a user profile. In the commercial sector, we're working on our bay management technology that would allow our partners to actually integrate that same type of experience, but for their audience. So if Marriott wanted to send out an invitation to all their Bonvoy members, they could do so and have that be in a corralled environment using their profile technology. And then you look at the launch monitor, and that's yet another universe that all three could be populated together and create this vast network of entertainment-related folks. And what I see happening from a gaming perspective is this notion between gambling and gaming or gambling and skill game still has got some gray area. Uh, I just had a meeting last week with some folks, as you might guess, out of Vegas who are have crafted a technology and have patents surrounding, I don't remember exactly what the terminology is, but where I can wager either in a private or a public setting, I can wager on my shot. I'm 50 yards out. I'm shooting for a pin. I'm going to place a bet on myself that I'm going to land this thing within 10 feet of the pin. And I and it, the system is tracking all of my performance metrics. So it's handicapped me behind the scenes. And they're going to give me odds on whether or not that is a likely shot. Yeah. So my $10 bet on my 50-yard shot might yield me $22. And that's just me betting on my own skill. Anybody who's watching me could place a bet with those same variables. They couldn't bet against me. That that would be gambling. But they could bet on my shot in a like bet to myself. I see that type of evolution. And that's a very mundane or simple description. But I see the evolution of skill gaming and these multiple networks coming into play where the user profile, the, the interconnectivity, and then the skill gaming components will change the dynamic dramatically. No, love to hear that. And and I've been having conversations on the podcast the last while in that space. And I, I agree. Have Be able to take, whether it's on your phone or mobile device, whether it's Golf Clash or Golf Rival, games like that, where rather than playing with your thumbs, with anyone around the world in real-time leaderboards that are, have a time constraint around it for a tournament, that you're actually doing it by hitting real golf balls. And it could be anybody around the world or whatever group it is, like you said, with Marriott and Bonvoy, part of their tribe to then differentiate themselves or extend their brand and doing that in that gamified way. And it was interesting. Yeah, I had a, a guy named Charlie Watson, who is the founder of a, an esports group called Lazarus Esports, and they own a couple of professional teams in whether it's uh, Fortnite and some other games too. And he's telling me, yeah, we were in a tournament eight months ago and our team won $1.2 million. And it's like, matter of factly, it's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> I know the money <laughs> is out there, but that's the level they're at. And I had him on the podcast because they hosted the first esports golf tournament in North America, which they're using as a test ground to then expand even further and seeing great opportunities in that. So I, I love the way all this is coming together, the, the skills-based gaming that you've talked about, that we've talked about for years in Vegas and 
just because of betting regulations and laws that that hasn't quite come to fruition yet. But it sounds like all this stuff is really close to, to popping here and really taking off in the next while. It's exciting. The place where Ryan Daughters and, and Jason Fierro and I align is that, that that's definitely the future. The bet that we're still not willing to make, to use a pun, <laughs> yeah. is at what time that's going to happen. The, the fortunate thing that we have right now is, A, we've raised some capital. B, we've got this solid, growing residential user base. The commercial business is going to redefine full swing as we continue to exploit the, the swing suite brand and build the features and services required to operate in a commercial setting, hospitality setting. And then you throw the launch monitor into, into the mix where it's everyday golfer activity or market. The sky's the limit. Those are all the baseline. So that's the bread and butter. Where this goes as far as all that network connectivity, we don't know the timing, but we're number one investment we're making right now is in software developers software engineers and the the creation of these networks and all of this gaming connectivity. That's really where the future is. Yeah, I don't know if it's next year or if I'll live long enough to see it, but <laughs> it's somewhere in between my death and next summer. There we go. Well, keeping it on a more upbeat note that... Uh, these I don't know, there's a lot of people that would think that ladder <laughs> is upbeat. <laughs> I, I just have to say, yourself as an entrepreneur, for everyone out there that's aspiring to be an entrepreneur or wondering what it takes to be an entrepreneur, and we watch shows like Shark Tank, and you think, oh, it's easy. You show up and actually you get, uh, you get a couple million dollars or you don't. It's like, you know what? You demonstrate these characteristics that I take away and I, I learn from Ron and them being resiliency. You're always curious and energetic. I like the fact you talked about focus, that you're obviously learning from Chip and, and staying in that lane, not trying to do everything and boil the ocean. And the other one is patience, which entrepreneurship is so hard because we've learned that the most successful entrepreneurs, most successful businesses and startups and products, sometimes it boils down to, yes, you've got a great idea, you're able to execute, you've got the team, but it's been proven through statistics and analytics and data that timing is the most important ingredient. And the fact that you're not trying to rush this to market, that you're waiting for other pieces to fall into place, and you're building that foundation through your partnerships and your network and your team to wait for that right moment. So that's so fundamentally key for entrepreneurs, which is so hard to do, especially as entrepreneurs, where you just want to do stuff so fast, but you're taking a breath and you're being patient, which is amazing. And that's hard to do. I might I might change the verbiage there, Colin. I don't know if it's patience or nimble amnesia. Right. Because I don't know that I'm really a patient person, but I try a lot. I have certain expectations on everything that I do try. And then if it fails, I forget about it and I move on to the next one. So that nimble amnesia is, is, a, is a play that I've got here going for myself. I think we have the, the, uh, the title for the podcast episode, Mastering the Art of Nimble Amnesia. People might be like, what? <laughs> What's going on there? I don't know if you watched the show on, on Apple, Ted Lasso. I don't know if you watched, but they've got one thing is him as a coach playing soccer, football in the UK as a football yeah. college coach. And he says a player after a bad game and he says, you know what? You got to be a goldfish. And this young guy is like, what are you talking about? It's like, they have no memory. You just have to forget it. So in a way, Ron, you, you're like a goldfish. Nimble amnesia. I love it. <laughs> so good. Well, on that note, so that you don't forget everything we've just talked about, we don't want this to go on too long because you may even forget you're on the Mod Golf podcast again. Ron, why don't we end it right there? So, hey, why don't you tell our listeners where they can learn more about full swing simulators and also about swing suite? Yeah, the, the one-stop shop, fullswinggolf.com. Go check it out. There's information about the new launch monitor coming out this fall. 
certainly the new software that we're bringing to market. Oh, one thing I didn't mention, by the way, is we've completely revamped all of the course software. So Full Swing is now developing all of their in-house courses. The graphics are unbelievable. And we'll, we'll have somewhere in the 40, 45 golf courses out by mid-fall. So that, that's, a, that's another big development for us and, and evidence of our software investment, software development investment. So again, fullswinggolf.com. Very good. As I do always in the show notes, I will put those links in there for our listeners to easily find you. And I guess I'm going to have to update uh, your bio page where we also include all the links of how to get a hold of you and the good things that you do. Because last time, of course, when we had you on the show, you were the chief digital officer and also the president of Top Golf Swing Suites, which of course your titles changed. So I have to make sure I update that for you too, my friend. So hey, Ron Powers, head of Swing Suite Division at Full Swing Simulators. My friend, it's been so great to catch up with you again, and hopefully I, I see you in the next couple of months because uh, I would really enjoy that. We've yet to play a round of golf, even though we've been in the golf business universe for the last couple of years, yeah. which is not right. Not right. Well, we're both about we the same. We hit a couple thousand golf balls together, but never on a golf course. I know, right? And I think we're both at that mediocre 15, 16 handicap. So you and I will probably have a straight up uh, head-to-head match probably won't even have to give each other any strokes as we try to beat each other. So I look forward to that because I know you're a competitive guy, both on the course and off the course. So that'll I be fun. I look forward to it, Colin. Good stuff. All right, Rod, take care. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right, brother. Take care. Thanks for having me. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.